Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're in Denver, Colorado, talking to Ron Johnson and Joe Stewart about multiplying movements from where they are to the ends of the earth. It was back in about 2015, and I was in seminary at the time at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, and uh, I was doing a little bit with some refugee work, um, working with Rich Case Bolt and Refuge KC, and uh, we were doing a little house church thing one night, and he he showed me this Google form on the cell phone and said, hey, whenever you share the gospel somebody with someone, you need to, you know, plug it into this Google form. And uh, when you do that, Tom will get it. And I was like, okay, cool. Who's Tom? I don't know who Tom is. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just wired to be a rebel. So I was like, I'm not plugging anything in here for this Tom guy. And uh, the next day I go to my world missions class and Dr. Hathaway uh, has to step out for the day. And so he shows up, he says, Hey guys, uh, I gotta hit. I gotta hit a plane, head over to North Africa. I've got a guest speaker today. His name is Tom Hall, and I was like, Tom Hall. I was like, I just heard that name last night. So I pulled out my phone and I pulled up this Google form, and I and he was sitting in the back. I was sitting in the back. I was like 30, 31, 32 years old at that time, and uh, I said. And so being that old, older than everyone else in my class, I sat in the back and I said, is this you? Are you this Tom? And he said, yeah, that's me. And I was like, what the heck is happening uh, that I would hear of this guy last night? And he's in my class today. So uh, speaking, told us all about four fields uh, and movement principles during that three hour class. And uh, so, of course, I met with him afterwards. Tom and I are the same age. And uh I was like, dude, I got to learn more and I need to know, you know, what, how can I get involved in this? I had only done, I had only known regular church. Um, and I said, I need to get involved in this. So Tom said, well, just come with me. And I said, all right, where are we going? When are we going? And he said, well, let's go, let's go tomorrow. So really, uh, we just started, I just went with Tom, wherever Tom said go, I went. Uh, a lot of that was door to door in the Northeast corner of KC uh, kind of the the refugee resettlement slash you know impoverished area of Kansas City, and we just started going door to door. And uh, I remember about the maybe the fourth or fifth door. So we went out, and Tom's talking about stuff I don't know about. You know, he's talking about well, I'm going to model, and then you know later on I'll assist, and I don't know what he's talking about. I'm just like, okay, cool. And he's like, well, so I'll do all the talking. You don't have to say anything. I said, all right, that sounds pretty good. And we get to about the fourth door and he knocks, he backs away from the door and he says, hey, you got this, bro. And I was like, what? Uh, so that's kind of how I got baptized, I guess, is just uh, thrown thrown to the evangelistic wolves. And uh, man, it's never been the same ever since. Honestly, we came on this lady uh, pushing a shopping cart, you know, uh, homeless lady. And at this point, I was so excited that people were talking to us and we could pray for people and share the gospel with people. Like I had never known that this was possible. And so we, 
Uh, I learned before I knew about, you know, the Luke 2 or Luke 10, uh, you know, do's and don'ts of of the mission. I was just like, this lady could have taken eight hours of our time and I would have gladly given it to her just because she just had all the questions and all of the, and Tom knew we need to keep going on the mission right now because this isn't going anywhere. But I was just like, I would have stayed there and kept answering all million of her questions mm. and was ecstatic to do so. Uh, that was just memorable to me because it didn't go anywhere, uh, but it was a learning moment that I still know about today. You know, when I have gone into homes now uh, and people are, I don't know how better to say it, but I usually say they just suck time out of the mission that I'm on. And I didn't know about that concept then, but I learned about it through, through this nice lady. Uh, another one was Andre, man. We, uh, knocked on Andre's door. He lived in an apartment. Uh, first person that I had ever went door to door and gave his life to Christ. And, uh, that was probably the most memorable time for me to think like, it's actually possible to have no clue who this person is. We're barging in on his day by knocking on his door and whatever God's been doing in his life up until this moment uh, is the right, it's the right time. And so that's given me confidence um, to know that I can share anytime, anywhere. I don't have to earn the right to share the gospel with anybody, anybody, because Jesus earned it for me. Grew up irreligious, came to Christ at 16 at a track and field camp. Went to college and got discipled by a guy and heard about how you make a disciple and they make a disciple. And this keeps happening faithfully over 30 years. You reach most of the world. And so I, I you know, bit down pretty hard on that. And then I didn't see it happen and uh, felt called to plant churches and then drank the church growth Kool-Aid uh, full on back in the late 80s, 90s. Uh, my, my sponsoring church pastor in California was Rick Warren and uh, super grateful for what I learned in that movement. I planted four prevailing model churches uh, beginning when I was in my, my late 20s and I just turned 60. And then uh, during COVID, I, uh, I I made an agreement on my fourth church plant with the Holy Spirit that I was not going to just be evangelistic. I'd, I'd grown a large multi-site church downtown Denver, but I couldn't point to disciples who were making disciples. And then during COVID, I asked myself, am I keeping my agreement on this last church plant? Because I promised I'd make disciples and make disciples. And I promised I'd plant churches that planted churches. And I thought, man, we're making disciples, but I'm not sure they're making disciples. And we planted up to 46 churches at that point in time. And, and yet a lot of those churches weren't reproducing. They were having a hard time finding leaders. And so we kind of hit a pause button and we realized we're not keeping up with population growth in our city. It's getting harder and harder to find four and five star leaders. It's $1.5 million in the Western world for every baptism. Buildings are getting harder to find. Everything's getting harder. And so I just began to read a lot. I read your book, Steve, or a couple of your books and, and David Garrison's books. And, and those were great for helping me get the principles, but I needed some practices. And then I read T for T by Yin Kai and read about the three-third process, look back, look up, look ahead, learn about DBS a little bit. And uh, we experimented via Zoom with some DBSs during covid and over about 14 months, we had 100 baptisms. We thought, man, we might be onto something. When we were not meeting physically, we were just doing video services. And all of our groups had pivoted towards, you know, being online and via Zoom. We started a bunch of these DBSs. 
And so it was during COVID we had those that first initial wave of baptisms. Yeah. A lot of stories. Uh, one of my favorite, they've become good friends are my neighbors. We had a few of our neighbors come to faith, but uh, Debbie uh, came to faith through a, a, a woman's DBS. And then she introduced me to her husband, Jim, who now is uh, one of our trustees and a good friend. And I went out for beers with him one night and uh, shared the gospel with him and he received Christ. And then I got to baptize him. And then now he's got two simple churches he's leading. One online with a group of guys from Dartmouth and the ones in the neighborhood. And then one day we're like, what are we going to call these things? And we thought, man, my worship leader said, well, there, anybody can lead one of these things. You just run the play, ask the three third questions. He said, simple. Let's just call them simple churches. So I Googled simple church and it came across zoom.training. I thought, I wonder who these guys are. Didn't think of think of it. And then uh, ironically, a friend knew Chris Wynn, who works with Curtis to establish, to establish that website to train multipliers around the world. We became friends. And through Chris, we met Curtis. And then Curtis began to, Curtis Sargent began to train us. And we're super grateful for his impact on us. We're, um, we're trying to learn how to do this while also being a prevailing model church. So during, during COVID, we also got a new building. There were buildings available that hadn't been available for a while. And so we own a couple of buildings. We've got some church plants, two church plants in our other building. We still don't need parking. We're urban. We're downtown. But it was an increase in seats. And, and then uh, COVID you know, ended and we started having services again. And so we got, we got this movement that's starting to grow. And we started re- reaching refugees and immigrants in pretty significant numbers as well. So it was taken off while we began to grow again as a prevailing model church. We've continued to grow on that side of things. We're actually bigger in attendance now than we were before COVID. So learning how to ride two horses at the same time mm-hmm. has been a bit of a challenge. Well, we've always had a hard time multiply. So we, you know, like I said, we've helped start quite a few churches. And when we say help start, we give money, members, mentoring, and model, you know, systems and stuff. And and you know, try to try to offer any support we can. We're one of the least churched cities in the country. We're very post-Christian. Uh, the vast majority of my neighbors, my neighborhood downtown, some Wash Park, it's probably 1.5% church. Uh, so, you know, one of the guys we helped was a guy named Jay who was doing a prevailing model church reaching Nepalese. And he himself is from India. And then years and years ago, I go, Jay, man, this is a lot of overhead. They're, they don't have a lot of money. This, you can only expand so much. You should do house church. And little did I know, he kind of was, but he wasn't calling it that. And then around the um, know, maybe about 12 months before I even knew much, I'd even read about DMM or CPM. He got trained by a guy at uh, at E3 that Joe and I know, and he began running pretty hard that direction. So uh, he's just done a great job. <clears throat> and so he's we're seeing really rapid multiplication among Indians, Pakistanis, Afghans, Nepalese, people from Bhutan. We're beginning to reach Hispanics. Uh, and you know how it is. It's it's traditional culture. It's like we also have some movement in India. You don't reach people. You reach families. Mm-hmm. And every house becomes pretty quickly a church and every bathos a baptismal. So uh, we had some a training in Washington, D.C. and baptized 29 last week in Washington, D.C. So they'll come here for whatever reason. They'll find a better job someplace else. Cost of living is lower. They move. But they've got it in their DNA. And they can't help but to share Jesus. You know, when they... A lot of them, when they come to know Jesus, they're super excited about it, and they can't not talk about it. So we've got pretty strong pockets of uh, movement going on both coasts and a few places in the Rocky Mountain region.
kind of what we're trying to, what I'm trying to communicate when I talk to prevailing model churches is uh, one's not better than the other. So I've been in spaces in movement world where house church networks, da, 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 the prevailing model church is terrible. Um, but I also, I've also pastored at church at prevailing model church. And I love, I love restoration church where we go on Sundays. I love the staff. I love being there. I love serving there. And so prevailing model church is awesome. What we're trying to get people to understand is both are necessary. Um, the goals that we want to hit, which is 1% of the front range in simple church by 2030, 10% by 2040, and just our sheer population of growth alone. And Ron's already touched on some of this, like the cost of not only living, but buildings. Um, if we want to reach, you know, a good percentage, if we want to even double from arguably in the Denver downtown, but the front range, like the string of big cities along the Rockies is just, just shy of 10%. If we want to double uh, and get to even 20%, Bible-believing Christian in any given amount of time, we're never going to find the real estate to do that, uh, plus the untold millions of dollars. But praise God for the churches that we do have. And so how can we say that one's not better than the other? Let's run these same tracks together and say, how could your people be a member uh, kind of of two churches? You know, maybe they're a member of Lydia's household church, like from Acts 16. That's where they find their their identity, their mission, their uh, faith, family, all of those things. But then they also come together with the city church. You know, if Paul writes a letter to Philippi, uh, and maybe they all could come together and worship and hear the word of the Lord and do all those things that we know city church does or big church or prevailing model church does. Praise God. Uh, if this little simple church can function in the identity of church and all of the little metrics that we hold dearly into the church circle and identify as church, but then also come together as a city church, then we should do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think at the individual level, it's what we see throughout the Western world is you've got, like just a certain understanding of church that you're fighting against. I, I think a certain form of discipleship that you're pushing up the hill against, which is, you know, we've trained people pretty well to, to sit in a chair one out of four weekends of the year or the month, hopefully the month, not the year, uh, give some money and, you know, uh, rate the sermon and and bring a friend on holidays. That's pretty much all we've asked of them. And if they're really dedicated, they might be on a serve team. And I've been guilty of that most of my, my ministry career. But then to say, oh, actually, no, it's a lot more than that. It's about obeying all the commands of Jesus, including making disciples and uh, getting out of your comfort zone and and reaching out to people and sharing your story and God's story. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big paradigm shift for a lot of people that uh, they've not been trained to, you know, to, to make that shift. And so you work with the willing on that one. Um, and also like in a lot of places in North America, we, we are in a very prosperous area. We, we tend to reach the up and outers and uh, like you can't, I'm in a neighborhood where you can't buy a home under a million dollars. And so, They've got their Lego boxes pretty full. They've got a lot of things they enjoy, and uh, they don't have a strong felt need for God. So, you know, we're always at an individual level pushing up against that stuff. So we're just teaching obedience-based discipleship in the simple churches. We're equipping the leaders of the simple churches to teach people how to share 
their story, God's story, how to, we use soaps for quiet times and we teach about how to pray, just, you know, basic stuff, oikos lists. We try to push that down into the disciples and leaders as much as we possibly can. That's where the greatest fruit is. But then, you know, because we are prevailing model churches, we do gather people and do training events. And uh, Joe actually leads that and he He's been multiplying trainers, so I'll let Joe speak to that. Basically, what we are training is uh, all the tools that would go into a four fields toolbox. Um, we don't put them into the four fields in our in our basic level one training. Um, but it's all the you know what's got what's the Father's heart, His vision for the world. Uh, you know, Second Corinthians five uh, identity piece, your story, fifteen second testimony, God's story, using the three circles. Uh, we always do harvest time during our trainings. Uh, of course, we're we're training three thirds. We'll run through three thirds, and like Ron mentioned, we're we're training soaps and chat. Um, sometimes I'll train handy guide to prayer. Um, we're goal setting. We're just doing all those type of things. Why we're seeing some traction is because it is working um, through what we're doing at restoration and coming out of restoration. And with Ron being a, uh, I'll use the term that he told me once, a pathological church planner um, <laughs> <laughs> that has been very successful in planting mm. uh, what any church planner would deem a wild success. Mm. Um, and kind of being what I, I know others have said around here, the OG of church planning in Denver. Um, there's a there's an organization out here called the Front Range Church Planning Network. Ron's the chairman of the board for that. Well, when we're a DMM CPM church that's pushing simple churches out of the doors um, and multiplying simple churches that have nothing to do. I mean, we've got simple churches down in the seventh, eighth generation that have no clue what restoration church is. Um, and to have a humble leader that's willing to forfeit what would come by all of those people showing up in our doors. Uh, but we have the numbers and the stories and the tracking to back it all. Other other churches in the region are giving a lot more credence and a lot more listening attention to what we're doing. And so we've got a church. Um, it's called the Rock Church. They'd never heard a movement ever, uh, never sniffed what movement language was. Somehow they met Ron. He could probably explain that. And uh, that lead pastor gave us an invitation to come and just do a short two-hour training with their staff. Uh, so we pulled out just some very basic gospel conversations tools and uh, their staff and that lead pastor said, yeah, we want it all. We've been figuring, trying to figure out how to do discipleship. This is how we're going to do it. And uh, we've already run a whole first touch training at that church. Now we're in the middle of a second touch training there where their people are leading their churches. And uh, I just got a text today from one of the guys that was in that first touch training who started a simple church out of those trainings and he shared the gospel on the airplane today, and this guy gave his life to the Lord. And I have, he screenshotted his whole phone to show me the whole text thread after they had gotten off the plane and left. And this guy's so excited about giving his life to Jesus. And so this guy, Paul, who I, you know, still attached to, I still talk to from that first touch training, he's over the moon that he is living his life on mission this way because of what we learned. And, uh, Anyway, so, I mean, 12 simple churches have come out of this church since January, and they had never heard of it. But because of the favor that we're getting because of a unicorn like Ron, uh, yeah. it's it's uh, I think we're starting to see something happen that 
I haven't been a part of anywhere else. Well, that guy, we trained him. We thought, Joe, like, that guy's kind of crazy. He's kind of nuts. And there he is. He's running harder than anybody. Leading people to Christ and leading several churches. And never write anybody off. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're tracking everything discipleship tools. Again, uh, you know, Chris Wynn is a big part of the team, Chasm Solutions. And uh, there's another group he's a part of that, you know, that they, they built that out. It's I think it's probably the number one site in the world for tracking movement, as far as I know, anyway. So we're tracking all on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, we're working on some new tracking tools. We're, uh, we actually had a website meeting today and we're thinking about uh, putting a significant amount of money into developing our own tracking tool that we think will just be much more friendly and it's going to measure health and be more exciting to use. We're trying to figure that out, trying to make it intrinsic. So we're not pushing people to track, but they want to track so that they know, mm-hmm. they know the state of their church and those down line from them. But yeah, we're track. We we're kind of number nuts. We, we we tend to track everything we possibly can. We're not doing a great job health tracking, but we plan to get there in the next twelve months and have health metrics on every simple church. And how many churches have been started? Uh, locally, we have over nine hundred, and uh, we've got two fifty in India. And I'm working on numbers in other countries, and I don't know what we have right in, right now in the U.S. Uh, approximately a hundred in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. But we haven't tracked those for quite a while. Yeah. We're trying to track three times a year. Yeah, since uh, January 1, there's been 700 baptisms since locally. Mm-hmm. I don't know, again, national. Uh, I could get the Indian numbers. We haven't. I, I'm go- meeting our, our leaders in Indonesia here in a few weeks. We're going to look at their gin maps a little bit better since what's happening in India with simple churches, baptisms, and you know different levels of leaders. We'll, we'll know all that here in a few weeks. And we're, we're still, it's evolving. You know, we're kind of finding the path by walking it. We just kind of got into this. So, um, man, we certainly don't claim to have all the answers. But what God's been in our heart has been locally in the front range, there's 5.5 million people. Or there will be by 2030. And we love to, in the movement itself, reach 1%. We're, we're approaching 0.02% right now. And we love to get to 1%. And then by 2040, 10%. You know, all the demographers say when you get to that 10%, you've got a, there's a sociological tipping point where it really begins to influence culture. So we're praying for that. And then we're just praying that, you know, one of the shifts I've had to make in my mind is from church growth to kingdom growth and from just here to here and there, meaning not just here, but we'd love to help prevailing model churches around the country do this. We'd love to see movements sweep the U.S. and the Western world. We love what's happening in other parts of the world. Uh, we're going to be more and more involved in like seeing movement happen globally. Joe's going to spend the summer in Egypt. We're sending teams over there. We'd love to be the kind of church that, you know, is, we're constantly raising up people that are, uh, you know, being used to help facilitate movement around the world. Said We still want to start prevailing model churches. We do love the prevailing model. I'm a little weird because I still like, you know, hazers and lights and good production values and cool kid space. You know, I still love all that stuff. A lot of DMM guys don't like that, but they start to twitch when they come on our building, you know, but I love it. And we've given uh, almost 3 million bucks away to prevailing model plants and, and money because God's just gift us with a lot of, and one of the things we have favor with is people who have high net income. And we're going to, we're going to plant for a couple more this year. We got a couple of guys that are coming on our team that are you know, probably plant early model churches in the future, but we're hoping as many as possible will drink the Kool-Aid and do movement alongside of us. Uh, there's a lead pastor out here in Denver. His name's Justin. Uh, I met him 
through uh, Troy Cooper introduced me to Justin and uh, just, he knew that we lived around each other and uh, I reached out to Troy for something else. And he was like, Hey, by the way, you got to meet this Justin guy. So he sent a text. And so I started meeting with Justin and Justin was trying to figure out, uh, you know, he had, he had learned four fields, not a, not a terrible long time ago from Troy and some others. Um, And he, so we met and it was like, oh, you've been doing this for a long time. Will you coach me? And I was like, absolutely, man. Uh, anybody that's willing, I want to run with them. And so I've been meeting with Justin for some time. And man, he is, I mean, being a lead pastor, he just wants to see movement so bad and is going after, I mean, we we just, we we lobby really hard movement and work really well together and so everything that we cover in our times together he does it and he's starting to see some stuff pop up in central illinois so i went with him over there and we led a training at another prevailing model church um but then he's also got some work here and so what makes me get out of bed is that our simple church my wife and i uh through the stream of justin i mean we're at fifth generation simple churches and he told me this story um, yesterday. Justin was plugging into uh, this this couple, uh, and this couple met a Hispanic guy, and he came to know the Lord and got baptized. Well, he was so about it that he started trying to reach out to others, uh, of course, and another guy uh, with the initial E, he came to the Lord and got baptized, Um and now they're starting to try to go through this hotel that is where they're resettling refugees and they're trying to start simple churches through this hotel. And these guys are, I mean, they haven't even been believers very long, like stuff like that. And I have never met these guys. I get to hear about it peripherally. Um, but to know that that what we're passing on is getting passed along uh, is really what makes me get out of bed. Uh, I was in a dorm room at the age of 16. Uh a guy had the guts to share the gospel with me. I received Christ, but then laid in bed for hours wondering if I really meant it or not. Like, did I really mean that? And then about 3 a.m., I was flooded with the love of God, just flooded with joy and love. And I couldn't stop crying because I felt so much love. And uh, to this day, the fact that Jesus took Christ, died for me on the cross and loved me that much is what gets me out of bed every morning. Well, if you're enjoying the Movements podcast, don't forget you can leave a review or spread the word on social media. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.